Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got a few more seconds until I finish <laughs> saying the name of the podcast, Mail. Wait for it. This It's called We've Got Mail. Yeah. It's our letters episode. Thanks yeah. for tuning in. Yeah, here's how it works. You write us well, and well, we answer your emails. Yourself. By the way, my name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic for The Wrap. Uh, I recently wrote an article for Consequence.net as hey, well, hey. Uh, in which I talked about the 20th anniversary of Ballistic X versus Sever. Is it as good as all that? I, have you ever seen it? I saw it in theaters when it came out. I was, I was like one of four yeah. people who saw that movie in By theaters. the way, that's Whitney Seibel. My name is Whitney Seibel. For, uh, he goes for Slash Film. Uh, I, I wrote this article because it's the 20th anniversary of the worst reviewed movie on Rotten Tomatoes. It has 118, as of the time I was writing the article, mm. 118 reviews, all of them negative. Not a single person went, eh, it's okay. Like, no one. <laughs> and that's a, that's a record. It's, like, the, the second, like, highest number of negative reviews is, like, 60 or 70 or something. Like num- it's, number of reviews. Like it's, give it a zero. Yeah, like it's way up there. It's ridiculous. So I was like, here's what I... So I proposed, here's what I'm going to do. I've never seen it. Uh-huh. I want to give it a fair shake. I'm going to watch the movie... And I'm going to see maybe is this something that has aged well? Okay. Is there something that is maybe we were too harsh on because it was so easy to, to pile onto it? Am I going to be the first critic to give this movie a passing grade? I didn't set out to give it a passing grade, but Just I set out with say, I yeah. set out with the mindset that it is excuse me, that it is very possible. That you know that what? it could be good. It, it's possible with any film. Yeah. So I wrote my intro, I watched the movie, I went back to the article. It sucks, actually. Uh, it's, it's really, really <laughs> Quick bad. Quick review there. Yeah, but uh, hopefully my article is more interesting to read than that. But, like, yeah, no, sometimes not everything is, is destined to get a cult following. Sometimes no, things are just bad. Um, I, I've, I've been really eager to find those films mm-hmm. that will never be, like, like wholly reappraised. Yeah. Like, Phil, I, I encourage you to reappraise your favorites constantly. Yeah, the films and, you uh, like and the films you don't like. Yeah, go back and watch yeah. a film you don't like, you might like it again. A film yeah. you notoriously don't like, you might like it again. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, film or, you know, a film that you've defined yourself as loving, you can go back and realize, kind of, oh, that's not actually yeah, very good, is it? Look at it with maybe a little bit more of a critical eye. So, yeah. you know, look, realize yeah, that maybe we as a culture have moved on. Yeah, like, you so know, like, yeah. it may have been important to you for a long time, but it's time you can put it down. That mm-hmm. I encourage, but there is a little bit of an annoying habit in film journalism. Yeah. Uh, for the one or two people who really love an obscure film that is kind of generally overlooked to come out and start writing essays in its defense because they're the people who loved it. Well, I mean... And that, that's and that's fine. That's how Citizen Kane but, uh, got canonized. I, I understand that. Okay. But uh, it happens so frequently now mm-hmm. that any film that somebody saw when they were eight years old yeah. or uh, have been sitting on for the last 15 years... Yeah. Is now suddenly an unheralded classic. Alonzo Duralde, I think it's his expression, yes. but he definitely says it a lot. He says, uh, "Is it great or were you eight? Is it great or were you eight? Yeah, that's Alonzo yeah. Duralde needs to sell T-shirts with that phrase. Yeah, on. because uh, and listen, we've all done that. It's yeah, I saw this a long time ago. I remember it being good. Reappraise it. Mm. However, I think part of that is is basically just this overwhelming tendency towards positivity. Right now, that yeah. like only like we should only talk about what we celebrate, and I think that's a little narrow sighted. But I. Uh, 
Yeah, it's so we're only talking about things that we like from the past instead of like maybe just talking about everything from the past. So I went in with no set agenda other than here's a movie you've only ever heard was bad. I'm willing to bet most of the people reading this have never seen it. Uh-huh. It's not even on streaming right now. I had to buy out an old DVD <laughs> with a cardboard case. Nice. So I'm going to just give it a fair shake. And no, it didn't work out. It would have been cool if I was. The, so, I, so now there are 119 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And they're all negative. <laughs> they're all negative. <laughs> so I'm number 119. Anyway, this we, we got off on a thing. This is We've Got Mail. Here's how this show works. You send us emails. We respond to your emails. You can email us at letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Or you can send us a physical letter. Some people send us stuff every once in a while uh, to our P.O. Box. Whitney, what is our P.O. Yeah, box? Send it to our actual physical mailbox, uh, P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And, and uh, we, we always it? like to start the podcast if we have anything yeah, in our P.O. If, box. If, uh, we're not getting so many letters in our P.O. Box that we have to sort of put some aside yeah. through, through overwhelming volume. Yeah. It's usually so one, if, maybe two a week if we're yeah, lucky. If enough. you send us a letter, then we'll probably read it and you'll get to to hear these sounds of me opening and like crinkling the paper on mic to give Mm. it a much more of a visceral feeling i don't want to steam it and save the stamp (laughs) okay there's a way to open this there we go here's a letter uh this one comes from uh it looks like uh alex the geek librarian hello alex and I've got to crinkle it a little bit more. Loves to do that snap. Yeah. Someone out there is like snap. putting their finger in there like, oh, man, wait a minute, uh, Dear Bibbs and... It's a Japanese characters. Oh, okay. I'm learning um, Japanese learning... on Duolingo. Oh, that's right, you uh, are, yeah. so... Every once in a while, like when I'm like getting set up when Whitney comes over to record, uh-huh. and I'm like, you know... Adjusting the microphone, turning off like various devices so there won't be too much background noise. Whitney will just be like learning Japanese in the background. <laughs> but it, it says uh, Roku Misut. Oh, it's Rockmeister McCool. Ma- okay. Makuru. Uh, Rockmeister McCool in. Nice. Transliterated into Japanese. That's really cool. Uh, yeah, that's what Google Translate says Rockmeister McCool is in Japanese. Um, uh, Rockmeister McCool is my letters podcast name. Yeah, please call him Rockmeister uh, McCool. He lives for it. Or or not? Uh-huh. Call call me what you like. Um, no, call him Rockmeister McCool. I wanted to write in to recommend an outstanding horror documentary that may be of interest to you and my fellow listeners. Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. I've heard of this. Okay. Uh, specifically focuses on the subgenre of folk horror. Uh, while I consider myself somewhere between a fanatic and an aficionado of horror films in my youth, I have hence matured to know enough that I know nothing Jon Snow. <laughs> um, I'm guessing that's a that's Game a Game of Thrones yeah. Uh, this doc particularly sheds light on the whole swath of films I've yet to watch, as well as the cultures they draw from and in turn influenced. Broken down into various chapters focusing on geography, time period, and point of interest, separated by experimental short film or interstitials, watching this documentary was a unique experience. I was so compelled to take notes and keep looking up the films discussed on my phone, but I found the process distracting. I resolved to watch it once purely for its entertainment value, and plan to rewatch it later and write down all the movies that I now want to hunt down. All of the experts interviewed sound convincingly knowledgeable. The whole affair interviews, archival footage, the original content are expertly edited together with a good soundtrack. I cannot recommend it highly enough, although I borrowed the DVD from the library. I've since discovered it's streaming on Canopy and on Shutter, yeah. So it's relatively uh, accessible. Canopy is the uh, streaming service you get with your library card. Yeah, it's a good one, too. Uh, it's, yeah, and they got a lot of great movies. And uh, Shudder is the 
not uh, they don't have an enormous collection but it is very well curated yeah it's only a couple hundred movies but they know what they got and they know how to arrange them and it's all very clear and they have really good uh, uh, originals as well so yeah. I, I recommend Shudder uh, because I like to include a discussion question in my letters I will throw this into the ring if you were a if you were awarded a generous grant funny I don't even remember applying mm-hmm. uh, to be put toward creating a documentary mm. What was substantial enough that you could forget to uh, forget other pursuits and focus on that project? And what project would you choose? Personally, I would go with either Tezuka to Toonami, anime in America from 1960s to the 2000s, or View from the Gutters, the comics industry explosion from the 1970s to the 2000s, with a focus on the many third-party alternative and independent publishers, not DC, Marvel, or Image Comics. Yeah, interesting. I know you gentlemen have many interests both inside and out of the movie industry, and I'm looking forward to hearing where you would like to shine a spotlight for your own satisfaction and others' education. As always, I appreciate the hours of entertainment and edification. Keep up the good work. Alec, the... Alex the Geek Librarian, mm. and there's a postscript. Uh, P.S. The last time I sent a letter, I had a P.S. asking about Christmas in July linoleum knife crossover. Uh, much to my joy, we received an installment, and your podcast uh, partners did not even have to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> On the la- yeah, it, Traditionally, uh, William and I and uh, Dave White and Alonso Duralde of the Linoleum Knife podcast have all gathered to talk about Hallmark Christmas movies that are released in the month of July on the mm-hmm. Hallmark channel. Which they do for fun. Uh, Alonso and William are insane people, Lee handsome. insane people Lee handsome. who enjoy watching Hallmark Christmas movies, well, yes. which are trash. And uh, Oh, like you don't watch trash. Oh, I've watched plenty of trash. Okay. Look, uh, so, some days I need to watch trash because it's the only way I can feel anything. Why do you think uh, we watch it? <laughs> I'm so numb to everything else. I need garbage to feel anything. Uh, I've one taste but left and all I can taste is garbage. Uh, luckily this year, uh, Alonso and William were kind enough to uh, exclude Dave and I from the process. Yeah. Because... We generally both kind of hate do, hate the whole thing. We don't like watching yeah. these movies. We don't like talking about them. Well, we had a great conversation without you, and you can listen to it on our various Patreons. It's an exclusive show on patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, or you can head on over to Linoleum Knife's Patreon page. I think they have it over there, too. And you should be listening to the Linoleum Knife podcast if you aren't already, because it's great. They're very funny, very insightful guys. Very, very Some of the best critics out yeah, there. Just period. Just honestly. They're wonderful. Um uh, I also appreciated uh, this is back to the letter. Mm-hmm. I also appreciated Angie. That, that's ah. that's my wife, uh, Angie, guest starring on the Dead at Twenty One podcast. She was incredibly incredibly knowledgeable and loquacious. My immediate reaction was, "Wouldn't it be great if she and Michelle had a podcast together?" <laughs> <laughs> I realize frequency diminishes the specialness, but uh, I like when you have guests, and it can lead me yep. to, lead to other great stuff. I think I was introduced to you when uh, you guested on the Canon back when you were part of the Schmoes No Network. Well, uh, I was Whitney. You did that. I never yeah, I never um, shut up on the Canon. I was never. I was never popular enough. Well, I I just wrote a letter to Amy Nicholson. Like oh. we had met a couple times. I got her email address. Oh, so like, you so you so you you were the squeaky wheel. You just asked. Yeah, I was like, hey, uh, oh. can I get on, come on the cannon? I'd like to talk about Eraserhead. See, and, I always just said. Uh, I always assumed she said reason... no. Eraserhead's taken. What else yeah. he got? I said the Tingler. So we had a, an hour long conversation about William Castle. The ting- William Castle's at the Tingler. I, I always assume the reason why more people don't ask me to be on podcasts is because they they don't want me. But mm-hmm. maybe it's because I don't bug them. Uh, you, you could just say, "Hey, if you ever want somebody on your yeah. podcast," I, I, I didn't. I didn't like hound Amy. No, I'm, I'm being but, yeah. silly. I'm, no, no, no. But this is this is true though. Like, if you want, if you're interested in something, hmm. 
pursue it. Don't be a jerk about it. Just be like, mm. hey, I would like to do this. Like, you know, and if they put say, it out there into the universe. And if they say you know? no, they, you say, cool, I'll check yeah. again in and, a year. Or and then you yeah. bounce back out and then you don't make a thing out of it. But like, yeah, you don't, you, you, you lose all the shots you don't take. Yeah. Generally speaking, yeah. So, yeah, it's a good point. Okay, so, uh, so but what to would the, you... real fast, I want to point out that Woodlands Dark and Dazed Bewitched mm. is a horror documentary I actually haven't seen, but I have no excuse because it's part of a boxed set of but... folk horror movies that we were actually sent by yeah, one of we... our wonderful, uh, wonderful fans. Uh, we we were gifted this box set. Yeah, it's and, called uh, All it's... the Haunts Be Ours, and it's a really wonderful. There's good it's, stuff on is it. Is it Arrow Video or was that Severin that put that out? I want to say it's Severin. Let me double check that. <sighs> one of the the really cool specialty yeah. uh, video outlets. It was either Arrow or Severin Films. One of those cool uh, guys. And uh, yeah, it, it's this. It is Severin. Yeah. Severin Films. Yeah. Okay, uh, Severin Films just put out a. I think it's like a 20 film Ray Dennis Steckler box set. That's uh, Ray, that's that, that's look, an interesting demo that you're going yeah, for look, there. Look up, look up Ray. For, We're looking for the Ray Dennis Steckler like, fans. Like out no, there nobody's there. seen 20 Ray Dennis Steckler films, including probably Ray Dennis Steckler. He's <laughs> probably just like honked out of his gourd when he made some of those movies. But yeah. um, so anyway, yeah, cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff. So I haven't seen look, that. Look up Ray Dennis Steckler. I hear it's really good, and that set includes, and it's an expensive set, but it includes a lot of the movies that they talk about in the documentary. I and know uh, that much. it, when they say folk horror, it's specifically like European folk horror. It's not like worldwide folk horror. Um, I would love Pretty to see much, yeah. folk horror from around the world at yeah. some point. But uh, it, yeah, this is a very specific uh, time and place when they refer to like folk tales and, yeah. uh, and there have been a lot of horror films to have come out of that time and place. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, somebody put together a box set throughout history. There's like older mm-hmm. films and newer films in that box set. Yeah, there's good stuff there. Like I really liked uh, the Russian horror film, V, V-I-Y. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that movie's great. I think I've uh, only seen like maybe one or two it's films. Super in that weird set, and so, surreal. Yeah. I love it. The piece. I think it's actually. I think it might be like the first like horror movie officially made in the Soviet Union. I could be wrong about that, but it's like right. it's got like a big, uh-huh. dis- like some major historical distinction. Anyway, um, but what would if you could make a documentary? If you uh-huh. had the means uh-huh. to make a feature documentary hmm. about any doesn't have to be movies, but any topic, Ooh. what would you do? Because that's that's exciting. Yeah, because then the implication is that you would that you would be able to get access mm-hmm. and talk to a lot of great people, do a lot of really cool research. Yeah, the uh, my favorite documentaries are the ones uh, that find interesting stories in light things you don't ordinarily think about. Yeah, exactly. Um, the I forgot the name of the filmmakers, but they put together uh, two documentaries that were really really fascinating. Uh, one was called The Rockafire Explosion. Mm. And uh, s- some people's, their eyes lit up and everybody else needs an explanation. Um, <laughs> the Rockafire Explosion was the name of the animatronic singing animal band at Showbiz Pizza. Oh my God! That was eventually uh, supplanted by Chuck E. Cheese's. In fact, mm-hmm. if you look up the old Showbiz Pizza ads, it's the same jingle, but because Showbiz yeah. Pizza and Chuck E. Cheese's have the same number of uh, syllables, they just... Yeah, transpose the, the, the name. I think initially they were kept kind of separate, and then they just kind of merged together yeah, gradually Chuck over e. time. Uh, yeah. Chuck E. Cheese's ended up buying Showbiz Pizza. Yeah, uh, but Showbiz Pizza, it, it goes through this documentary film. It's short; it's like forty minutes, but yeah. it goes through the entire history. It contacts the people who designed that animatronic, mm-hmm. who came up with the characters, 
how they initially it was just sort of this thing they were throwing off. We can do this really cool animatronic thing and we'll put them on stage. Yeah. We'll have a curtain open up and we know how to make, we know how to build this. So we may as well put it in the pizza restaurant. Right. And as it became more popular, as it became the centerpiece of showbiz pizza, mm. uh, they started to get a little bit at, you know, out of their head about this. Like, oh yeah, and we can introduce new characters and introduce all of these mythologies and start having movies about these characters. So, and eventually, Showbiz Pizza went under. It was bought out by Chuck E. Cheese's. They reskinned the same animatronics. They found the warehouse where they kept all the old animatronics that had like the rubber skin. Mm-hmm. Of course, the rubber skin's melting off, so it's yeah. really terrible, terrifying to look at. Uh, that kind of thing, like the history of the Rockefeller explosion, really uh, fascinates me. The same filmmakers did a really wonderful uh, documentary film on the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Uh, which not the fictionalized show, but it's actual documentary where they mm-hmm. talk to the yeah. the wrestlers from Glow, uh, and yeah, that that's a really fascinating documentary, especially when they talk to the people. All of the all the rights to Glow ended up uh, floating into the hands of one of the wrestlers. Like she owns it now, mm-hmm. uh, so anything that you buy from Glow, all the money will go to her. So it's actually going back to to the wrestlers. Um, so yeah, what what was what's something like that? Something that doesn't you don't really think of as having that, a history that you could delve into the history of because that's something I would want to look my at. My first thought, and it's something we've discussed, and it's not mm. quite the same thing. It's a little bigger than that, but it is something that I think most people have kind of written off and don't really think is that interesting. Uh-huh. I would love to do a documentary about UPN. The other, there you go. Specifically, because I'm not okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about the Star Trek or whatever like that, but I want to know like who was greenlighting. Deadly games. <laughs> Who was green lighting marker? Like, what was going on over there that you all thought that was a really good idea? Like, I want to know, like, how, who gave us like the Phalanus Network mm. in actual TV history, not not kind of streaming because mm. Quibi is its own fucking documentary, I, 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 and I that's would, inevitable. Would, that's would, happening. I'll, I'll make that myself. I'll make the Quibi yeah. documentary. Just give me give me give me like four days with Katzenberg, yeah. and I'll I'll get the dirt on Quibi. Yeah, so like what I like about UPN or, <laughs> or something like that. Mm. I'm trying to that's think of like a, some other pun. Like I love UPN, Beth Cooper. No, that doesn't work. Um, but anyway, so yeah. that's my first thought. But yeah. I get UPNs from outer space. The Secret Diary of UPN. Oh, there you go. That's ooh, <laughs> that is good. That is good. Yeah, I'm not yeah. gonna lie. That is good. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, there's a lot of actually like YouTube uh, uh, people who like make like short documentaries. Yeah, there's a whole uh, like defunct land corner. Of, defunct uh, land. Uh, Yesterworld. Uh, Yesterworld. I think even did something on the Showbiz Pizza. If you okay. want to see like a half hour version of that. Um, and uh, these are things that I had no idea was even would even be interesting. Yeah, like yeah. I there's a history here's like a thirty minute documentary about a roller coaster you've never oh, heard of, and I'm like, was, uh, how is that fascinating? And it turns out in a lot of ways. You told me about this. There's a documentary film out there about the space themed house band at Halix. What is it? Halix, not H- Helix. Halix, but it's spelled with an E. No. Oh, H-A-L-I-X. Uh, I think it might even be with a Y. Hang on a second. Hold on. H-A-L-Y-X. Halix. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were at uh, Tomorrowland in Disneyland. Yep, H-A-L-Y-X. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they had a, a house band, and it was this space-themed house band. They were their mm-hmm. own entity, and yeah. they, they had an interesting Ima- Imagine if, Imagine if Star Wars combined with, like, the Chuck E. Cheese show, mm. and there was, like, a guy who was, like... And he was legitimately performing. It was not, like, pre-recorded. He was, like, legitimately performing space... Basie prog rock 
in yeah. the middle of Tomorrowland wearing like a giant Yeti costume and there were like robots <laughs> and shit. There is a feature length documentary about Halix. Um, hold on. Live from the space stage, a Halix story. Okay. And you can watch it on YouTube, I believe. And it's right. it's fun. It's riveting. It's actually like really interesting. Because this mm. was a thing. They thought it would be cool. They did this for like three months. Mm. This is like a three-month thing. And there's a gigantic <laughs> story behind it. Because so many different creative decisions had to be made. Uh-huh. It's, it's enormous. That's It's wild. Ooh, here, here's a documentary. Mm. And it, it's this one's a little grim. But mm. um, okay. there's a book out there called... I think it's called Mouse Tales. Uh, I think there's two volumes of it by now. Oh, you mean but it's, uh, 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 Mouse Guard? No, no. Okay, Mouse it's, Tales. It, it's about Disneyland. It's oh, okay. a, a non-fiction. Oh, it's a okay. non-fiction book about Disneyland. There's a rumor out there that no one has ever been pronounced dead at Disneyland. Oh, I've heard that. That story, yeah. and there's there have been rumors flying around that they have a special ambulance so they can scoop somebody up into an ambulance, drive them off the park grounds, and then pronounce them dead. Yeah. Or I think. Or I've even, I've heard that even, urban legend. Or even times. there's a, there's even a rule that the. The ambulance itself doesn't count as part of the park, so they can de- declare them re- dead oh in the ambulance, God. and still nobody has died uh-huh. at the park. That's not true. Actually, no, that's a, nonsense. A lot of people have died at Disneyland. Sure. I would love to see expose. Oh, just some people uh, who died at Disneyland, and, and you know, it, it'd be a little. You know, it's a little grim, but well, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. grim. You know, more yeah. more than those people get to know who they are. It's like yeah. that that documentary series, Cursed Films, yeah, on yeah. Uh, on Shutter. Uh, that's about you know films that are ostensibly cursed because people died on set, but they start talking to the people who were involved mm. with the tragedies, and they're like, "This isn't like cool cursed stuff. This is sad. Yeah. People are dead." Uh, and I would love to see a you know a, an appropriately somber but uh, in, uh, illuminating documentary about the people who have died at Disneyland because a lot of people have, yeah. and those rides are kind of dangerous. Uh, yeah. The uh, the people mover. The slow moving ride that r- took you through Tron and Tomorrowland, yeah, was nicknamed the People Remover by the staff because it has it, that Christ. ride claimed the most lives. That's People ridiculous. would get bored, climb out, and get stuck underneath the the, the tram. Ugh. So yeah, it's uh, that that a little. I understand like Disney would never sign off on something like that. Well, like, you never, well, they never so do it officially. So but protective still have of to... their brand, but yeah, but it's a document. Are... You can only control so much of how that comes out. You yeah, know, if it's and, documentary. And, and also, also that you know, people died. I think yeah. it's it's a good way to honor their memory rather than hiding underneath an NDA or something. Yeah, anyway, it's an interesting thought. I mean, gosh knows, I'd sure would be like interested in it, but mm-hmm. like. Yeah, if anyone wants to give us like a big old check and says, "Hey, make a documentary," we'll talk. <laughs> we'll, we'll have that conversation. Yeah, I'll, I'll make the Quibi doc. It'll just be called oh, like. That'd be great. I would love to see you make a Quibi documentary. <laughs> quick, quick bites. A beautiful seven months. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, that's if our I, only physical letter. So yeah. why don't we move on to our emails? If I, uh, if I could make Quibi, I'd put you and I together. Oh my god. <laughs> I have a Quibi T-shirt. Uh, I know you do. Unfortunately, it's a big letter, just a big letter Q. So uh-huh. I'm a little, little uh, touchy about wearing it in public. Yeah, nowadays everyone would associate it with the, the shitty Q. Yeah. But like, yeah. Uh, but here's a letter uh, from Stubble McShave. Hello, Stubble Hi. McShave. We've Good to hear from you. Stubble before. Hello, Bibbs and the Hart Buckner lookalike, Mister Mister Mo- Moister McCool. Moister. Moister. I'll be moist. Moist. Not even moisture. Moister. Uh, English is not my native language, so I hope you'll bear with me. You're doing great so far. (laughs) With Mr. Moister McCool, I think you're doing great. I like it. Uh, I recently looked at the AFI list of the 100 best movies. When did that come out? It was like 2000 or something? There was one in the late 90s, and they did another one 10 years later, and then they just stopped. 
Yeah, which is gonna, a shame. But we'll we'll talk. About, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a second. Let's talk about. It. I noticed that the movies are pretty spaced out over many years. However, there are only two movies from before mm. the 1930s. Yeah, the General and the Gold Rush. And there's only one film after the turn of the century, which was the first Lord of the Rings movie, which came out in 2001. Mm -hmm. That means, according to the AFI, there was no movie that qualified to get into the top 100 list before 1925 or after 2001. Mm -hmm. Do you think the list is accurate in reflecting which are the best movies? Do you think there are more movies in the 1920s or earlier that should be on the list, as well as movies after 2000 that should be included? And please elaborate if any movies come to mind. Do you think that movies made after 2001 will be added to the list when some time has passed and everyone has gotten some more perspective on modern movies? Thanks, Stubble McShave. Um, okay, so for, for people who... Thank you, by the way, for writing in, and this is a good question. The AFI Top 100 list is really interesting to me because people make lists of the best movies of all time, all the time. Mm. However, there's really only two in my experience, that people keep coming back to over and over again. One we talk about all the time, it's called the Sight and Sound Poll. Mm. It's actually coming out later this year. They do it every 10 years. They invite filmmakers and critics from all around the world. Not us, <laughs> but hopefully someday. That's a dream. In any case, that's coming out, and that's usually a pretty expansive, worldly list. I believe they usually print out like the top... like. 200 or something like that but they also have it so that you can search what everyone voted for yeah, you can really yeah. get a so great comprehensive look of everything that got so you, votes you can get like a thousand recommendations yeah. just from like an hour of, of uh, yeah. browsing however uh, in the wait it was in 1998 1998 okay uh, they the AFI the American Film Institute Note, note Americans. So Very specific. Only American movies. Only American movies were eligible. Some movies that might not seem American were technically American productions. Like, I think The Third Man feels very British, but it's technically an American okay. film. Uh, it's Joseph Cotton. Yeah, that's Orson fine. Wells, American actors. Yeah. Uh, they pulled members of the American Film Institute. And these are like big people, like Steven Spielberg and mm -hmm. other filmmakers and actors of note. Uh, and they asked them to help them compile a list of the 100 greatest movies of all time. And they also did a bunch of, like, sort of follow-ups who were the greatest stars of all time, what were the funniest movies of all time, the greatest movie songs. They did all of these. But the big one was the 100 Years 100 Movies list. It came out. It was all anyone could talk about for a little while. It was This was before, like, the internet and this stuff was really super commonplace. I, uh, I, I printed that out and had it in my wallet. Yeah. I, I, that one, I had Roger Ebert's Great Movies, and I had mm. The Village Voice Top 100. Yeah. I uh, kept those in my wallet, just in case. The AFI list, and they would update it again in 2007. It's mostly the same movies. They replaced a few things. Mm. Uh, Birth of a Nation wasn't on it anymore, that kind of thing. Oh, uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I know, right? So, uh, yeah, they, they replaced... Oh, actually, they replaced a few more than I thought. But, mm. in any case... Uh, but yeah, the, the the list got updated. Lord of the Rings was added. Um, let's see what what some of the things that were cut out. Uh, Fargo was removed. I think that at the time that was the most recent oh, okay. one that had that was on the list. Well, ninety eight. Um, Fargo yeah. came out in ninety six. So yeah, that yeah. was a brand new movie at the time. Uh, let's see here. The Third Man was no longer on it. From Here to Eternity was no longer on it. Mm -hmm. Close Encounters was no longer on it. There's a bunch of films. Um, I don't know why they stopped doing it, because for whatever reason, the AFI is one of those lists that people go to. It feels official. Mm -hmm. And the list that we have, you know, I don't love every movie on that list. And I haven't, there's like a couple I haven't seen, but like, it's a pretty solid list if you just wanted to say, what are some of the most important American films that I should see? Yeah. And I know a lot of people who like, dedicated podcasts to this. Like, let's just get through the whole list. The, 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 AF, the AFI list is like 
baseline films. It's like first year films. Yeah. Film. Like that's that's the yeah. kind of thing you need to there, go there in. There aren't a lot of surprises on it. I'm going to run down real fast. Here's the top 10 in ascending order. So number right. 10 was The Wizard of Oz. Number 9 was the most recent list. Number 9 was Vertigo. Number 8, Schindler's List. Number 7, Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. Number 6, Gone with the Wind. It's aged poorly. Uh, number 5, Singing in the Rain. Number 4, Raging Bull. Number 3, Casablanca. Number two, The Godfather, and number one, Citizen Kane. So a pretty much a standard who's who of, of like the best so known like classic the, movies. It's like the IMDb. Well, the IMDb list is like it's got like Shawshank, Seven, and, and Fight Club, and yeah. Shawshank. Yeah, it's a, a little the, bit more. More the, the, the Dark Dor- Knight is up there. Yeah, and dorm poster movie. Yeah, a little yeah, bit more than that, but yeah. So like it's it's a pretty standard. Somewhat uncontroversial, unless mm. you start really digging into what made the cut and what didn't. Uh, a list of yeah, it's, those are kind of the commonly accepted best films. Although of course they tend to skew really white and male. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, they skew white and male because the industry skewed white of course and male. It did. You know, sexism throughout the industry yeah. and racism throughout the industry kept a lot of films white and male. Indeed. And, and uh, the films that were made by. Uh, black women or just black directors mm-hmm. or females. Uh, I'm actually saying was... there are any films directed by women that made the, the most recent top 100. I'm looking right now. The, the top 100? Probably Yeah, I, I don't think so. I'm willing Hold to bet on. there's like multiple like, Woody yeah, Allen movies. There though. is multiple um, Woody Allen movies. Um, uh, yeah, so be, because of sexism and racism in the industry, uh, white men tended to dominate mm-hmm. just because that they were the only ones making movies. So when these lists for posterity are made, that's what we're drawn from. That's our pool. Uh, it's quite unfortunate. Um, yep, no women that, at all. Not a single one. I, I, I remember somebody put out like a syllabus, like an mm-hmm. actual film school syllabus. I think it was, might have been from USC. And uh, it was it was that. It was like the AFI Top yeah. 100. It was, and uh, the only woman they had on the list, the only uh, director... Was was Lenny Reef? No, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, like that. Oh, I knew we'll, you were going we'll let, there. Too. We'll let we'll let was, one woman oh. on this list, and she did the Nazi oh, documentary. No. Yeah, great. Uh, oh. Lenny Riefenstahl made a, a documentary film called The Triumph of the Will, which mm. is about a Nazi rally, and yeah. uh, and it, it is from that film that we take whenever like there's like a scene in something like Lord of the Rings that shows like an evil empire rising. Mm-hmm. They're almost always evoking imagery specifically from Triumph of the Will, yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's just that evil. And, um, uh, and I've seen Triumph of the Will. It is boring. I've never sat through it. I oh, try. Yeah. I, I've seen clips, but I was like, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't really feel the you, need. You kind of, you kind of. I got the gist. It. But um, I, I've never formally reviewed it. Obviously, if I did, mm-hmm. I'd watch it. But in any case, but the question on the table is, are there any films from... Because the silent era is largely underrepresented. Typically. Um, and more recent films, people tend to be a little gun-shy about declaring them the best ever. Mm. Which I get. Yeah, However, you, you, you I think, want them to. You yeah. want a little bit of posterity. A little bit. However, I would. I appreciate. I've. I've always said this, and I've mentioned this before when we talked about the side and sound bowl. If I voted, I wanted to like. I want to take a swing. Mm. I want to say that I'm gonna. I'm gonna stand up for something recent that I just think is that good. Yeah. Because I. I think we should. We, we should go on the record, and we should instead of just being conservative with our choices, let's let's make a few bold steps. Okay. So real fast, what silent movies? And they have to be American. That's a trick. So yeah, that's because a lot of the big silent movies, mm. like Nosferatu, mm. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, mm. Metropolis, Metropolis, uh, yeah, yeah, they're not necessarily American films. I can think of one movie off the top of my head, and they've already put some Chaplin and Buster Keaton on there, mm. so I'm just going to leave those out. All right. 
I'm going to give one off the top of my head that has yeah. aged really well. Mm. And it is absolutely, it's because I think the AFI, it's not just quality. I think historical significance is a factor here. Okay. The original Mark of Zorro. Okay. If you've never seen the original Mark of I, Zorro. I could have sworn you were going for Sunrise, but all right. Sunrise uh, is great. And I think Sunrise actually might be, might be on the list. Um, okay. So. Uh, Sunrise was added in, in the in the second list. Okay. So Sunrise is on there. Um, how uh, about Broken Blossoms? Is that on I there? I don't think I've seen Broken uh, Blossoms. I don't think it's that, on the, there. The Gish film it's not. One. Real okay. fast, I'm just going to make a quick case for Mark Zorro. If you've never seen it, it's pretty much the first superhero movie. Uh, and it, everything superhero movies do kind of comes from that movie. Mm-hmm. And you watch it. If you do a double feature of like the Mark of Zorro and Batman Begins, you'll see that like Batman Begins is just modern Zorro. Yeah, and it's well, socially probably conscious. Not even it's consciously that just that, that's just well, what that kind of movie looks I, like. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, they changed it for Batman Begins, but in it's generally considered canon that the movie Batman's like Bruce Wayne saw with his mm. parents afterwards they were murdered in an alleyway mm. was the Mark of Zorro. Okay, that's Which been is, comic book uh, canon for for like decades. So, so nineteen twenty, that film. Came yeah, out. it's part of Batman. It's part of his DNA and they acknowledge that. And it's got amazing stunts. The story still works really, really great. It's like the first, it feels like the first modern action movie in a lot of ways. It's just really ahead of its time. Um, It plays really, really great. The remake with Tyrone Power is also really, really good. That's a a sound Mm -hmm. film from I think 40, 41. Uh, And then of course The Mask of Zorro is, you know, people like that one. Um, But yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of... I mean, The Great Train Robbery isn't on there. That's true. The great it's, train it's robbery. A little obvious, but it's, it's there. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of the great uh, silent films that I like are, are not American films. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the kinds of films I like are not necessarily the kinds of films that <laughs> are historically... Like, I, I love something like The Unholy Three, the Todd Brown oh, movie, yeah. but that that's not going to make its way onto a, a top 100 list. Although, you know what would was is... Uh, I mentioned Sunrise. Mm. Uh, also, Wings. Which, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Wings and Sunrise both great. won Best Picture the Wings first time they had might one. be on there. Let me see if mm. Wings... Wings is not. Okay. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you another film that I think I, I would seriously... Because you got to remember when you, like, you're voting for these things, you only get 10. Yeah. And it's all in aggregate. So you got to pick your battles. Uh, but another silent film that I would definitely make the argument is not only great, still great to this day, but historically relevant and interesting... Uh, is Salome, the 1923 uh, film. That one. It's kind of considered, I've heard it described, and, and when you say things like it's the first, and I did that with Marco Zorro as well, always take it with a grain of salt, especially in the silent era. There's so many movies that no longer exist, hmm. and we really can only give credit to for first to so many things with any confidence, which is to say almost none. But I've heard Salome described as the first like American art house movie. Yeah. Uh, it's based on the Oscar Wilde play. It's a story about King Herod, John the Baptist, Salomon. Uh, it is absolutely stunning. <laughs> Just visually inventive. The costume design is like absolutely wild. Like it's 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 nothing. It just feels intensely modern. It's so mm-hmm. ahead of its time. It's really it's really sensual, which a lot of pre code films were. But I think a lot of people who are more familiar with you know, they, if they watch silent films, they're watching Chaplin. They're not necessarily mm-hmm. like digging into the salacious stuff. They might be a little surprised. Um, but yeah, that movie was great. Yeah. It plays really, really well. People uh, should watch it today. Uh, as for uh, more recent films, yeah. that, these are, there's so much that can be debated. I, yeah. I remember this was an issue the last time they did the sight and sound poll. Yeah, almost nothing. I think the most recent was, one was in the mood for love or Malone Yeah, like, Drive, there weren't a lot two. of really yeah. recent movies. And uh, I think there were a couple of votes for uh, Tree of Life. Which, the, the poll came out in 2010, Tree of Life came out in 2011, so it was a brand new movie at the time, and uh, some people were... Uh, oh, it came out in 2012, because it's on the twos. 
What did I say? You said the poll came out in 2010. Oh, 2012, that's Yeah, the poll comes out yes. in 2012. So the Tree of Love is about a year old. It was, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but it's a big swing, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. a big, It's so I think Tree of Life is a, uh, so is a good potential. I'm trying to think of, like, other great films from, like, the 2010s. And also from America, which is distinct. Because, like, yeah, I'm thinking of, like, one. if I was doing the sight and sound poll, one of the first things I'd pick would be Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Not an American movie. That's, that's a French film. I would uh, think Small Axe. That's British. That's yeah, not American, you know? Uh, the Social Network is a film I, I mm. love. I think that's actually pretty... I know you're not keen on it, but... I, I, it's fine. I think I, I'm not as fawning about it as everyone else right. is. But I, I appreciate that. I know a lot of people would agree with you. Yeah. Uh, I know there would probably be a big push for, I mean, what's the dominant film? It's all those Marvel films, the superhero movies. Oh, like Black uh, Panther. Like maybe Black, Black Panther. Or, or just The Avengers yeah. as sort of like emblematic of what the genre is. I think um, a lot of people would push for Endgame. I think if you're going to make an argument that any of those movies has the artistic significance, mm-hmm. not just popularity, because a lot of blockbusters didn't make it on that list. Yeah. Um, I would say it's Black Panther is the one Marvel oh, yeah, movie. Probably. Um, we could, I definitely think an argument could be made for mm-hmm. something like The Dark Knight. Yeah. I'm sure some people would push for Joker. I don't think it has enough like no. real critical attachment to make it very far, but yeah, yeah, it's um, definitely a possibility. Um, uh, let's see some other good, good horror films. Something I think some like, people uh, would probably pick for like The Hurt Locker. That's definitely something like The Hurt Locker's really good. Moonlight. Moonlight, Moon, Moonlight would votes. be on there. Uh, yeah. Moonlight for sure. Uh, to represent sort of the... Uh, Movements in horror. I would choose something like It Follows. The Babadook mm. is not American. Uh, no, no. Get Out. Yeah, Get Out for sure. Get Out definitely a real a real contender there. Um, mm. Arrival, perhaps. I like to. Oh Arrival yeah, I think Arrival would probably um, do. Oh, Mad Max Fury Road. Fury Road. Of Fury course. Road. Get a real real. I mean, it was filmed in in uh, Australia, but it was made mm. by Warner Brothers, so that yeah. counts. Uh, ooh, let's see here. It's such a beautiful day. Uh, the thing is, if you're talking about like culturally significant, that one hasn't had a. That's the problem with choosing newer films; is they well, haven't had a chance to influence. I appreciate yet. that, but I'm going uh, if, it, if, if it's that it, recent, you kind of have to go for just quality for the yeah, most I part. So you know, um, hmm, let's see here. Uh, this is so interesting. I'm sure just listening to us, like just go, oh, shout at us. Yeah. Maybe we'll pick up the movie you're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, I think some there's some there's not enough comedies. On the list in general, uh-huh. and I'm trying to think of like modern movie comedies that might conceivably make the list. Maybe Bridesmaids oh, yeah. is it, a legit can, contender. I can't I think. speak to that because I haven't seen it. But yeah, yeah. you should get around to that um, one of these days. It's a good movie. Um, uh, oh, Boyhood. I would choose Boyhood. Oh, oh you Richard know, Linklater's Boyhood. I love. I love that movie. I was just thinking about Linklater. I was actually thinking the whole before trilogy should be like one slot. Yeah, I think you should put that up there, and I think you should put the Godfather one and two up there, and you can leave the oh, Godfather uh, three. Out. One we talk about a lot and yeah. keep on recommending is Steven Spielberg's The Post. Oh, The well, Post. Okay. Yeah, well, White House down as well. <laughs> the, Post the, Post. the Post is a good pick. The is a good pick. I like that. Uh, like uh, the act of killing, and can we put act of killing and look of silence on the same line? I don't know if because so... because one of the directors is like uncredited for like reasons when yeah. they don't want to be you know attacked by the government by their governments. I'm not sure how American that is. I have oh, yeah. to like look that up. Yeah, I guess that's not an American film. Okay, yeah. never mind. Um, you know what? We you know what to consider putting on there because Rocky's on there. I consider Creed. Creed. I think Creed is one of the better transformative like franchise movies and I think it works just as I think if it was the first movie it'd be brilliant mm. I think Creed is genuinely that good maybe that's me I don't know uh, it's just a thought um, Silence the Scorsese movie oh that's that's another one where like maybe not the impact but the art yeah, yeah definitely yeah. 
Hmm. Unpopular movie, but still quite good. I'm trying to think of like animated movies that might like make like I think Inside uh, Out. I don't know. I, I like Inside Out. I, Inside Out. Inside Out is a good example. Actually, Inside Out is a great uh, uh, mm-hmm. one for example. I don't want to necessarily lean to on, on Pixar, but yeah, that's a definite possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, in any case, uh, you, I'd be very curious to see like because you got to remember, you only get a couple of slots. What is actually the film that you would like go to bat for? Saying in, like the last ten years, last twenty years, modern movie. You stand by it. You think it's going to stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question to ask. And it's not just the ones you like. Which one do you think will matter? Because yeah. when you think about I was just talking about this um, to someone else. It has been 100 years since Nosferatu came out. That's right. 1922. One of the most recognized movies in history. If you've never seen it, you know the imagery. Mm-hmm. There are very few films from 1922 that most people have heard of. <laughs> and honestly, I would argue that for most people, Nosferatu is probably the only one. You might have heard of Nanook of the North. You might have mm-hmm. heard of uh, Haxon, the documentary about uh, witchcraft. Was that 1919 or was that also 22? I heard it was 22. I could be wrong. Oh, okay. Uh, but in any case, there just aren't a lot of... It, it, the tons of movies came out. Mm-hmm. One. <laughs> There's one that people on average just have genuinely heard about. Mm. Even though they haven't seen it. Imagine a hundred years from now, what's the one movie from 1922, <laughs> or from 2022, that people are actually going to remember? Because there are people who refuse to go back and watch movies here's made before a, they were born, and they were born in like 2000. Here's my, uh, here's my prediction. It's going to be The People's Joker. I made this point! <laughs> because if you think about it, like, we should talk about The People's Joker real fast. Uh, the People's Joker just played at TIFF. It's not going to be released to the public. TIFF is the Toronto uh, International Film Toronto, Festival. Toronto, uh, Toronto International Film Festival. It's uh, a queer satire of Todd Phillips' film, The Joker. Yeah. Uh, Joker. Using it's, the iconography and characters mm, of the DC and, universe. And the, the DC, and they didn't change the names. It's Batman, yeah. Joker. They actually, Gotham yeah, City. They use clearly, all of those terms. It's, it, I've seen the trailer. It's clearly satirical. Yeah, it's... But it's however, also playing they, with corporate IP. Because they used the corporate IP and they used those names, it's not protected under parody, which means uh, mm. Warner Brothers put the kibosh on it. And, I'm uh, curious at how far that legal battle could go, though, because yeah. I think there's there's an argument to be made. But I haven't seen it, so I can't say Again, it. Uh, I don't know what's in the contracts. I don't I don't know how these laws work out strictly, mm-hmm. so um, I, I'm not. I don't side with the corporation. I don't care. I, yeah. w- I want somebody to take their IP. But uh, you know, the cre- the creators of Batman are dead. Yeah. It, Warner Brothers is getting the money now. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't care. But like, but so basically, they made this movie. They showed it at a film festival. It got good reviews, actually. Uh, and but Warner Brothers hit them with a cease and desist, and now we don't know the future of that movie is going to be. Mm-hmm. Can anyone see it? And I was on thinking about this. I was like, you know. The one movie that people remember from 1922, Nosferatu, was, was also, also hit, sued hit, for copyright infringement. With, uh, successfully, they had to yeah. pay out. <laughs> like they, they, they unofficially adapted Dracula. They literally just changed characters' names. Like, it's the same fucking story. Uh-huh. They, they, like, a couple of little tweaks, but, like, it's the same fucking thing. Count Dracula became Count Orlock, and, but it's the same story. Bram Stoker's estate sued the shit out of them. Not only did they lose, they were supposed to destroy every copy of the movie. It is a miracle it survived. So the one movie from 1922 that survives is the one that it did okay, but it wasn't the biggest blockbuster mm. of that year. It was the one that was nearly sued into oblivion because it didn't give a shit about corporate IP. Maybe People's Joker is the only movie that's going to survive. <laughs> and I think that's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. I hope that's the case. Anyway, and, and all all the Batman movies, like the movies and the uh, TV shows, those are all they'll rot away. They'll be killed in some some cataclysm, yeah. but the books will remain. So just like Dracula, yeah. we can compare it to the book. Yeah, it's interesting. We have the book for Dracula. Anyway, we should move on, but it's a good it's a great topic of conversation. Thank you for asking. It. We right. we're, we're we need to we need to ram through a few right. emails here. Uh, here here's a letter from little... Nolan. Hello, Hi, Nolan. Nolan. Um, uh, dear Bibbs and Wrong Meister McFool. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I'm a fool. I love it. Um. Like many of your listeners, I follow both of you on Twitter. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Um, you are funny, engaging, and downright oh. approachable with your fans, including myself. Thank you. However, I have noticed recently that Whitney's had a particularly salacious, dare I say, snooty take that I've seen him post more than once recently. In short, sex scenes are necessary, but action and fight scenes are unnecessary. Mm. This I stand by. We'll have a talk. With, with my snot. We'll um, have a talk. I won't argue the first part of that. Sex scenes can absolutely be important to a film. Anyone who's seen Old Boy can tell you that. But the later, the latter statement, might we be painting with too broad a brush, Whitney? Oh, goodness, no, I say. Um, you've praised stuntmen. <laughs> let, let them talk before yeah, you know, editorialize. <laughs> let, let them have their podcast. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing, throwing in my snootiness. Give um, it a moment. You'll, you, be, you'll have plenty of time to be snooty. You've praised stuntmen in, the past, in past episodes and unsung heroes that, as... The unsung heroes that they are, but if action is unnecessary, then aren't all stuntmen as well? I could create a ridiculous strawman argument like Whitney thinks all stuntmen are useless, but that would be dishonest. Therefore, yeah. I won't say that. Whitney thinks all stuntmen are useless. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's apply that logic to a film Whitney has said he enjoys, Adam's Family Values. Mm. Is Fester's premature ejaculation gag that much more crucial to the film than, say, Wednesday's insurrection at the summer camp? Uh, Gomez and Morticia have incredibly sexy banter that leaves to your imagination what kind of crazy bedroom shenanigans they get up to. Would it serve the film more simply to watch them going at it, and more importantly, would it be funnier? Uh, Whitney, I must insist that you elaborate. I also think most of your audience knows that the action side of films is less interesting to you, but without action and fight scenes, cinema may as well be snapped by thanks. Uh, may as well be snapped by thanks. What? Just as thanks. Oh. Um, uh, Travis Bickle never re- rescues Jodie Foster. Paul Sheldon uh, never escapes from Annie Wilkes farmhouse. And one of my favorite films, Cool Hand Luke, wouldn't be the tale of an unbreakable human spirit that we enjoy today. Is there an action sequence in Cool I'll Hand be honest, Luke? I'm going to confess, I've never seen Cool Hand Luke. Oh, okay. I've, I've seen it. I don't remember an action yeah, sequence. Yeah. But, uh, I th- what, we're, what we're defining as an action sequence is getting a little loose yeah, here like, with, yeah, with like misery, but it's not wrong. It's yeah. just not necessarily uh, the would, conventional yeah, would, interpretation. Yeah, wouldn't call uh, what happens in misery an action sequence, uh, but it, there's not like a motorcycle chase. No. But I think there's a difference between a, a stunt spectacle and an action sequence. I action sequence requires not, yeah. physical conflict. Yeah. Um, I've listened to your show since the early days of Cancel Too Soon, so Whitney, I hope you take my disagreement as a friendly way of giving you the business. I am sincerely <laughs> interested to hear you flesh out these opinions beyond what fits in a tweet. But on a final note, uh, this is a request for Bibbs. Mm. If I'm wrong, and Whitney really does want to uh, just do away with action and fight scenes altogether, give him a big old wet willy for me, please. Oh, uh, preferable gross. when he's in the middle of a, sest- a sentence. Your pal for life, Nolan. Oh, that's uh, a little gross. I'm not going to be doing that. Sorry. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. I might, I might uh, throw a cat on him. I, uh, I, 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 I uh, was part of a sports team team when I was young, which means uh, I got to experience what willies. Because um, uh, I wasn't the greatest athlete, and you got picked on a lot for that. Oh, yeah, I had... Um, people used to steal shit out of my locker. Like, they just they hated me. Like, oh, yeah. They, um, uh, to elucidate, uh, a- action sequences is not anything that has a stunt in it. This uh, is Whitney's definition, this is my definition, not necessarily yeah. the conventional or the dictionary uh, one. You're talking about an action sequence in Adam's Family Values. That's like a massacre scene. That's mm-hmm. not like something that involves explosions and fights and chases in the conventional action sense the way I, de- w- the way I define them. 
so I would say that's not a film that's up for qualification. Do I want to see Gomez and Morticia go at it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> would it be funny? I mean, I'm sure it could be. Well, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure they have very funny ways of doing that. Oh yeah, you bet. Uh, do, do you remember the? Uh, the that might se- not be the best example of like the, the, the uh, sex scene for for the, you, for but, the person uh, making the opposite point. But yeah. if, if you remember the sex scene in Tim Burton's Dark Shadows, where uh, <laughs> where. Uh, Barnabas and Ava Green go at it, and they're both supernatural vampires. And they like, destroy sexual, like, a building. Yeah, they destroy a building. They're like flying up and hitting the ceiling, and shit. like that's that, that's funny. That sex movie scene. is underrated. It definitely is. That's I, a funny thing. I, I I like Dark Shadows. What can yeah. I say? Um, uh, when it comes to like action sequences, uh, I find especially in films that could be defined as action movies, films mm-hmm. that are predicated on fights and action and chases. That's when I start to to take exception to the way action is used. That is to say, willy nilly. Uh, they're they're kind of they throw in a lot of thrills at the hope that the audience will be thrilled. I suppose yeah. I, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to feel when I watch an action sequence. I feel uh, I, I hear your point here because I but, feel like uh, it's it's a tendency in the the industry has evolved in a weird way mm-hmm. around action sequences where action sequences were originally designed in this... They're spectacles. Hmm. They're there for the same reason. People have an... Instead of just, like, punching each other and, like, that being the end of it, they have, like, an elaborately choreographed fight or hmm. car chase or something. So, so you, you do it because You do it for the same reason that Gene Kelly dances. Hmm. You do it for the same reason that um, in 2001 he doesn't just go, oh, I understand the universe now. No, you have that weird optical light effect. <laughs> You're showing off. You're doing something well, kind of... A little transcendent, unrealistic, and I think it's mm. intended to entertain, but I think what happened, and what I agree with you to this point, mm. I think too many movies rely on the idea of the action sequence without actually going through all the trouble of making a really, really good one. Mm. They want to impress you, but they're not actually doing anything impressive, or worse, they are and they don't know how to film it in such a way yeah. that it sells. Yeah. Um I, I understand your point, and I yeah. understand why a big fight scene is at the end of an action movie. All of the all of the tension, all of the drama, mm-hmm. all of the things that you set up in between the action sequences mm-hmm. need to be resolved in a prolonged way so it feels like you've lived through something. That something needed to be done and achieved in order to uh, achieve closure. Yeah. The problem is a lot of those, as soon as those action sequences begin... The drama's done. It's like all, often, all, yeah. all we're waiting for is to see who wins, the, who comes out on top at the end yeah. of that. And as such, I, I just want to get to that part. I get really mm. impatient. I get really antsy when the fight goes on for too long. There's uh, This is another problem I think a lot of, especially yeah. like action movies have, where they conclude the emotional journey of the characters before the the movie ends. Yeah. Or the plot the, uh, needs to be wrapped up, but the yeah. characters have reached the characters reach their catharsis, and now it's time to team up for the final action mm. sequence. No, after mm. in or in the middle of, preferably, yeah. because then you're, you're still rooting interest. Other than that, uh, it's just like I'm just waiting now. I, I remember, uh, uh, I think Roger Ebert said this. He he described mm. sex scenes in movies as little uh, necessary intermissions. Mm. Uh, sexual tension is broken. Now you get to see the sex. And yeah. the drama is temporarily sort of suspended. The audience gets to have a nice time watching people get their kits off. And then well, the, the, the sex scene will end and the drama can then begin. Ideally, we're uh, emotionally invested in the characters getting together because that's mm. what the story is trying to convey. That yeah, kind of passion yeah. or tension or lust yeah. even. Um, I feel like a lot can be communicated through a sex scene, through the way they relate, the mm. things they say during sex. They don't mm. have to be silent during a sex scene. Sure. Uh 
just sort of the, the circumstances under which they had sex, the uh, rising and falling action. Uh, I think all of those things are uh, great to have, great zesty things to uh, convey a very specific type of human communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, violence doesn't really have quite the same thing. Maybe you can uh, have people talk to each other during an action scene. Happens a lot. Uh, look at mm-hmm. like in Star Wars, they're constantly yelling at each other. Get behind me, Buzz Boy! I have uh, the high ground. <laughs> Oh God, not that one! <laughs> I meant st- like the '77 film. I get it. Like uh, they rescue Princess Leia, and she grabs the gun. It's like you guys suck at this. I'm going to start shooting too. Yeah. So that's a fun character moment. moment. That's f- fun character yeah. moment during the action sequence. Uh, but for the most part, a lot of action sequences are also intermissions. The yeah. story stops. People chase each other. Uh, and all that really matters is whether or not they catch up. See, and I, I, I agree to you to mm. a large extent. I think too many movies, I think we're talking about, both agreeing about when people do it badly. Mm. But I've seen so many examples of people doing it well, and I want people to do it. Star Wars is a good example of this, actually. Right. Because that uh, final uh, dogfight sequence, right. where they're going to destroy the Death Star in the original film. Right. On one hand, it's just an impressive technical accomplishment. We're marveling yeah, well, at the spectacle. I'm simply acknowledging all right, it. All right. From a character perspective, there is something in there that we haven't... There's two things, actually. There's at least two major beats in that sequence that were reserved for that sequence that make that sequence feel more emotionally satisfying, I think, than just, oh, and then they blow up the thing. Mm. Uh, One is, before that sequence, Han Solo fucked off. That's right. Han Solo said, I got my money and I'm out. I am am exactly what I said on the tin. I am just in it for the money and I left. And then he comes in as a cavalry charge and like, hey, Han Solo... Grew as a person. Hmm. It's not that he saved someone. We knew he was going to survive. It's that Han Solo grew as a person. That's the cheer moment right there. Joined the action sequence. Yeah, and the other bit is that's when Luke actually uh, uh, commits... Trusts his instincts. Trusts his instincts and trusts in in a religion and he trusts in the ghost of the person who taught him. Isn't there like some detail where like he... He like turns off like the the computer yeah. that's going to help him. The whole aim. thing is there's yeah. a there's a computerized like targeting system, and it's mm-hmm. like it's like you, only this targeting. It's such a complicated shot. There is no way to do it without a computer targeting system, and everyone's come like close, but it hasn't nailed it yet. And then Luke is just like, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's believe what he's saying. Yeah. I believe. It's a religious moment. Yeah, that is a huge character moment for him. That's the moment when he becomes, I would argue, a Jedi, mm-hmm. or at the very least, a Jedi in training. Those are huge character beats that are put inside an action sequence, and that's why those action sequences work really well. That's why, like the the final fights in Empire and Jedi, work so well because there's so much emotional baggage going on between well, Luke and Darth Vader. There's just no fight; just Luke gets nearly murdered. It's more than, but he does, but like, but also, isn't that exciting? It's not just Luke winning. L- Luke you know? got his hand cut off. Should have been his head. They should have just killed him in that moment. Oh, he gets a cyborg f- head f- after f- that. that- <laughs> He but did. like, but that's a, but my point is that, that those are examples of actually of it, of it done right. I remember when I uh, started studying uh, Hong Kong filmmaking, and I mm-hmm. realized how much great Hong Kong action movies, whether they were the martial arts films of uh, Lao Kar Gang mm-hmm. or um, or King Hu or whatever. They had they relied on action for the narrative. The plot was actually about fighting, mm-hmm. and they were actually communicating character and theme in the midst of those fights. And then John Woo would end up doing the same thing. Okay, and there's a wonderful there's a wonderful bit in um, the Killer where uh, Chai and Fat and I forget that is it Daniel Lee I forget the the whoever the plays the cop in the Killer mm. they like have this like 
they have their guns in each other's faces, but Chow Yun Fat's girlfriend is blind, and they don't want to get her in an, into any danger, so they pretend they don't have guns in each other's faces. So it's this whole action sequence that's not happening, okay. and it's full of character. And now these guys are now forced; these guys hate each other. They're forced to talk to each other, and on that, that's on which they build a relationship. Okay, well, that, that, that's that's a much, good storytelling. That's a much more interesting scene. Yeah. You see, when the action doesn't happen, but uh, the action the, was uh, happening. You couldn't get there if the action wasn't supposed uh, to happen. Uh, it's subverting the, uh, the idea. Yeah, I, I I feel like a, a well done chase or a gunfight is all about the conclusion. It's all about what happens at the end of the scene to move the <sighs> drama forward. And when I yeah, when people start whipping out guns that. and shooting at each other, I realize that it's really rare that mm. something significant or dramatic will happen during the fight. Uh-huh. Uh, it's it's especially uh, galling during superhero movies because superheroes are like punching each other. Is this like a boxing match? Yeah. How does somebody win that fight? Does somebody die? That's is somebody pro- knocked unconscious? Because that yeah. never happens in those movies. That was my problem with uh, the ending of Man of Steel, a movie I like, I actually mostly like. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, the whole thing ends with Zod and Superman just beating the shit out of each other. Mm. And I'm like, I get it. Zod's pissed at Superman. But you had multiple opportunities to resolve this in a way that wasn't just empty violence. You can still have a bit of a fight. But, like, you... you, the, the For me, the ultimate... I've, talk, I've told this before. Mm. The way Man of Steel should have ended. Because <laughs> you've already had... You've had this gigantic action sequence. Mm. You've fought a bunch of Kryptonians. Like 45 people fucking minutes. Flew around yeah. the fucking world. Like, a whole bunch of cool shit's happened. Okay, fine. I can, we can all enjoy it. At the end, Superman has sent all the Kryptonians back to the negative zone. Hmm. Not the negative zone. That's, uh, uh, what, that's whatever it is. What the, uh, what the, what the, what the negative zone is Marvel. The, that's that that spinning mirror. In space. Yeah, that's into the spinning mirror. What the fuck is that called? Ne- um, negative anyway, world or whatever. No, it is. no, I'll figure it out. Um, but anyway, they send them all away, and now it's just Zod and Superman. And Zod tells Superman, "I uh, was designed." Hmm. By my people. That's right. I remember I would, this moment. Yeah, he yeah, was like, yeah. I was designed by my. my there whole... was a great. Tw- there's a great twist that they set up set and up. They didn't do. Yeah, because what happened was Zod tells him, "I did everything that I did to protect Kryptonians. Mm-hmm. I tried to take over the planet to protect Kryptonians, and look what happened to the planet. Mm. They sent me away. I came back. I tried to conquer Earth specically to protect our people, and now they're all gone." You're, You're the, the only, only Kryptonian head. left. So what should have happened right then is I Zod surrenders. You. I sir, I, no. He says, "I serve you now." Yeah, that's I'm it. I'm here to protect you. Yeah, and what would Superman even do with that? He would say, "Okay, well, Go to you're turning yeah. yourself in, and you must do it voluntarily." Because yeah. Superman's already established and, you can't Z- keep him there. And Zod would have done that. He's yeah, like, he would have. Yes, I'm serving you. What an I'm interesting character people. to come back to in the future. Mm-hmm. Someone who's actually doing penance because mm-hmm. it's the only because that's what he does. It's built into his character. A character moment was specifically negated uh-huh. in order to give us an action uh-huh. sequence, which ended up being the thing people didn't like about it. Not just because of the fight, but because it ended up with a whole bunch of people acting out of character. Mm. Superman letting a whole bunch of people get killed. Superman not finding a way to stop Zod without murdering him. There should there was a moment in... This movie is, is cheap, and it's badly written, and it's better than Man of Steel, and it's <laughs> Superman 4. Uh, I agree. Superman 4 has a scene where he's like, we're going to fight on my terms, and they go to the moon. Yeah. Where nobody will be hurt. Uh, it's yeah. a really badly shot sequence. It's, it's shot in super slow motion. Cheap. It's, it's, it's like, 
But the concept is there. The, concept the storytelling is, is actually meet, good. Me it's, on the moon where sorry. no one will get hurt. The That's, story is the good. Story the story is good. beats yeah. are solid for the most part in that movie. It's the, the storytelling, the cheapness, and some of the bad acting is like really gets in the way. <laughs> really but awful special effects. All of the actual story ideas in that movie, for yeah. like I'd say 90% of them, are really good are Superman <laughs> ideas. <laughs> Uh, so that's my objection to to action sequences yeah. is nothing happens in them. It's, yeah. it's distraction. It's movement. It's noise. Yeah. Uh, it's really rare that I watch an action sequence and go, oh, wow. Like they do or I get really excited that somebody's mm-hmm. jumping into a fray. It's like just, I, I get really antsy. I'm just like, just, yeah. let, let's just pick up the pace. Get to the end. Skip this well, sequence. We don't need it. All we need is what happens at the end of that action sequence. So, yeah, I, I feel like. Very broadly speaking, of course, mm-hmm. a lot of action sequences don't serve a function other than a very basic kind of uh, distraction via movement. Uh, there's a there's a there's a term I use for certain kinds of movies where mm-hmm. all they're really doing is like dangling keys in front of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just basically look motion. Yeah, yeah. And I can handle that to an extent, but I expect better of you. Mm-hmm. And I I agree with you to the to an extent. What I think. I wouldn't say that you know action sequences are unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I think that's overstating it dramatically. Mm-hmm. What I would say is we have a problem with how people are treating action sequences, where mm-hmm. it feels like it's just the thing you put in there, yeah, and it and should it's... be every single. If you're going to put in an action sequence, it should serve the story and the character simultaneously, mm-hmm. and you should actually try. To make it exciting and impressive and not do, just yeah. stuff that happens. Do something new. Like th- those Mission Impossible movies, yeah. they're trying to do something really so exciting. Hard. And I'm impressed by those movies yeah. because they do something kind of novel with the action sequence format. They try to come uh, up with something we've never seen before and w- they try to do it in a way we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And they try to really do it, which, again, not always safe, but if they're doing the best they can to make it safe, yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh,. I have an issue with the way action sequences are just so so lazily tossed into movies. I also yeah. just have a problem with the pervasiveness of the genre. Uh, it's know. you know most people go to movies and they just want to see this kind of bland violence. It's mm. like if you're going to show me violence, show me violence. Don't no, show, show me bland violence. Show, show me violence. The, the action. You know, an action sequence I love. The action mm. sequence in the uh, right near the end of Malignant, where. Uh, <laughs> That the cops where, where Gabriel like just storms the cop because you know what that's that's another kind of a massacre sequence that's yeah. not people fighting yeah. that's a monster killing a bunch of people and, and that's like it's... weirdly more exciting for me but look at the showmanship in that yeah. it's visually impressive I'm not going to ruin the movie mm. but if you don't know what's going on in that movie when that fucking scene hits <laughs> holy shit you have not seen that scene before no it's pretty you've amazing you've seen Terminator and you've seen like you know people like mm. bust in and killing a bunch of people into a building you've never seen that bit from Malignant they thought of a new thing thing the, the they sequence, showed the, you a new thing the sequence that starts with zoe bell going what the fuck <laughs> just that's, from that point on it's that is great, pure yeah. cinema yeah. right there. I mean, <laughs> in the most wonderful uh, what was i think it was herzog who said like cinema is like always hurting for new imagery yeah, yeah always, we're that's always herzog. that's what we're looking for more than anything else we're looking for new things to put on camera yeah, Malignant did that. Yeah, I, I feel <laughs> like the, worse, the, the action genre, it's it's like shooting a car commercial. There's yeah. only so many ways you can photograph a car. And I feel like mm-hmm. with action sequences, we kind of kind of done a lot of it. And yeah. so, Which is why context is more important yeah. than that. We try to make it so that you something is important is happening well, to the, the characters. Either something's happening in the scene or mm-hmm. there's actually something kind of significant about who comes out on the other side. Mm-hmm. Good guys versus bad guys. Good guy's probably going to win. Uh, the the main character is going to catch up or the bad guy's going to get away. It's not really all that significant to the drama. Yeah. It's just something to distract you briefly. So yeah. 
like, to, to, that's what I mean when I say yeah. action sequences are unnecessary. They are intermissions to uh, the part of the movie that I'm more interested in. Yeah, fair enough. Hmm. I don't listen. I don't. I disagree with your sweeping generality, hmm. but I agree well, that there's. I'm, a, I'm doing it to make a point. I realize um, that, and, and, and Twitter is not the place for subtlety. No. Uh, uh, however, uh, <laughs> or, or decency for that matter. <laughs> well, that's too often true. So I, I see your point, and I again, I, I agree with you in a general sort of way, but um, I don't agree with your sweeping generality. Okay. I think that action sequences are wonderful, but life sequences, like anything else, need to be done well, and unfortunately. Mm. And I think this is especially true in a lot of American cinema, but just in general, too many filmmakers don't understand what makes an action sequence really work. Mm-hmm. They they're using it as like punctuation. Yeah, basically, mm-hmm. like oh, and there's a comma we, here. This is where we an, take a breath for a we quick need an action, action sequence. sequence here, and it's yeah. like, well, yeah. what's being accomplished here? Absolutely nothing. It's just we're, we're taking a breather. The moments that we tend to remember from action sequences aren't the noise. Hmm. You know, they're the moments. They're the they're the they're the amazing character moments or the one unusual stunt yeah, that we've yeah. never seen before, or like the big like uh, uh, like for example, you know, there's what's become like a big uh, a big thing is that whole. Uh, remember that scene at the end of at uh, the end of Avengers Endgame when all the heroes show up, right? Oh, um, the, the, all the, the portals open and everyone oh, okay, everyone like, they thought um, was dead is back, and then Captain America yeah. says Avengers assemble. That is a better moment than literally all of the cacophonous yeah. action that follows it because so, that's me, what we were building towards. Let, let me ask you this. Um, that was the big moment. Like, oh my God, they're all back. What, what a heroic like, moment. I feel like however w- much you like that action sequence, the fighting, yeah. everything that goes on, I can't remember a lot that goes on. I, I remember a lot of brown. It's just it's, like, it's really oh blandly God, the filmed. Color, um, the color timing in that scene makes me want to just throw Yeah, it's like, it's, it's like, it really looks really super digital. It's like a wasted opportunity to and make it actually look And there's good. Captain Marvel. She blew up a, sh- well, actually a digital thing happened. That's not, well, I mean, but, come uh, on. it's none of it's real. I, mean, I, I understand. Like, uh, my, my, my extend point, a little. My point is it, it doesn't look real. It just looks really kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, uh, could that that sort of like action is almost like it's it's like a weary obligation at that point. It's like mm. you had the big moment; they're all together, assemble. Uh-huh. What if you just snap to the end of that? You could. It would it would feel a little unsatisfying, it right? Would be. You, you need a little bit well, of time to sort of appreciate cool. I, I'm not sure uh, if anybody likes likes that action sequence. I think there are moments. They like the moment that, that end that started well, and ended. I, I'm arguing. I think that I think those are the big moments. Those are the big takeaways. Everything else in the middle is just oh, it's kind of cool to see them together. They never got to be together. That's mm. fun. That's fan service. There's a place for that in this kind of filmmaking. Mm. But I think those are the those are the moments that you begin. I would actually argue that maybe the best climactic action sequence mm. from the last 15 years of cinema. And I'm probably gonna like someone will point something out. I'll be like, okay, yeah, that's better. But there's an argument to be made. Twilight Breaking Dawn Part Two. Oh, <laughs> that is the ultimate have your cake and eat it action yeah. sequence. Because it, it's, it's, it's everything. Like, I, should I ruin it? Well, I, I think the people who've seen it want to see it, and okay. uh, it was based on books that were really popular. If you don't, so, listen, yeah. if you just want to trust me on this, and you've never actually watched it. 
you pause this, come back to it someday, but like, and, and see the film because I would actually argue the last two Twilight movies are weirdly interesting films that, because the second to last one is a terrifying is, yeah. body horror movie. It, it's about like the vampire pregnancy. Yeah, and it's, it's about, like what really Cronenbergian. What, what yeah, if your unborn baby was like literally devouring you from within? And Bill mm. Condon directed Candyman too, for God's sake. Like he's really going for it. But then the but then the last one is a superhero movie. They're unapologetic. The, the, the vampires are just fucking X Men. Like at, at this point, point, they're like, okay, listen, a bunch of these bad guy vampires are going to come here and they're going to tell us that we can't have our, luckily, our vampire each, baby. Luckily, each vampire has a mutant power that think, we haven't told you about. And before. it's not. And some of them were like, okay, so some vampires are psychic. I can wrap my head around that. Mm. One of them could create earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? How does that become? A, how does? Where does that stem from? Vampires. So anyway. They assemble a whole bunch of hero vampires to fight a whole bunch of evil vampires. And again, I'm going to tell you what happens in this movie, and it's amazing. They meet amazing. on a frozen lake. Big, they meet big on a frozen lake. fight area. And they're all like, listen, you're not, this this vampire baby should not exist. We want to destroy this, this unnatural occurrence. Mm. And they say, well, we don't want it. And at that point, the evil vampire tears off the head of, of Robert Pattinson's father. <laughs> tears it off this doesn't even happen in the book oh. it's the most fucked the, I was with their opening night the audience like thought they were gonna die they just screamed in terror <laughs> they, they, they all read the books they had no idea what was gonna happen yeah. we're totally off script and then there's this gigantic action sequence and honestly pretty cool by most modern action sequence like it's as good as any other oh. and like people are fighting and werewolves are running away and like everyone's like killing each other a bunch of characters we know die like holy shit it's this gigantic epic Lord of the Rings action sequence with vampires ripping each other's heads off. Mm. And then we find out that none of that happened. It was, now a, that sh- it was a, like a, a psychic premonition. Here's yeah. the deal. That, that should feel like a cop-out. But instead, it's actually a plot point. Because what the, the one of the psychic characters said... This is what's going to happen we're if we gonna, don't have a conversation. Yeah, we're all gonna we're all gonna die. We need to diplomacy yeah. this, otherwise, yeah. So this fight will kill us. All. I use my suit. We had to assemble here so that we knew this could happen. Hmm. But I showed you a psychic premonition of everyone here dying, and we can avoid that if we have a conversation. So you get to see all the cool stuff on camera, but you actually get an ending in which people solve their problems in a mature way. <laughs> That's great. I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm kind of okay with that. I uh, really, th- whoever, I, I assume it was Bill Condon. I have no idea. Whoever came up with that change, brilliant. Like <laughs> really, because it was a huge moment in the theater. People were gigantically reacting to it. And I swear to God, as I was leaving a bunch of people and I was sitting like right behind them, was like, you know, I like that ending better. Because <laughs> you got everything. You had the yeah. Kyrie Cake and it too. It's great. Uh, anyway, uh, we got we got to wrap this up actually. Uh, um, but um, what, one uh, very briefly, um, yeah. an action uh, sort of arc that I really liked yeah. was in a film called World War Z. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, not, yeah. not not a great film, but you know, big, very expensive uh, zombie epic. Zombies take over the world. Uh, and the movie starts with the biggest action sequence. Yeah. Uh, zombie zombie, zombie, New York. zombie outbreak in New York. Millions of people all of a sudden are zombies. They're piling up. They're, yeah. they're, they're so angry. They're climbing each other. They're like turning into this yeah. like Very sea cool. of, of zombies. Big special effects. Very cool stuff. The climax of that movie, three characters, two zombies and Brad Pitt in a quiet lab and he's trying to sneak past them. Yep. That's the climax of the movie. Because that's more intense. Yeah. We have emotional connection to Brad Pitt. All that other shit, that's just empty spectacle. Mm. 
Focus on what matters. And what what he's getting is this one thing. All he needs to do is sneak past it. That's a quiet movement, a quiet moment Mm -hmm. in a movie that has the same kind of stakes as an action sequence without any action. I know, it's great. They they took the action away, and I liked that about World War Z. Anyway, uh, thank you for writing a great question. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. If you want to write into We've Got Mail, very easy to do. Send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Or if you want to hear your letter at the top of the episode, you can always send us a physical letter. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, send it to P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. If you want to listen to this and all of our other new podcasts without commercial interruptions, you can head on over to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We also have a lot of exclusive shows, in which we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff like Star Trek, the Academy Awards, tons of stuff. Thank you to all of our patrons. Without you, we would have no show. And that would suck. <laughs> I love doing this with Whitney. It's always great. Um, we also have our Soap of the Month Club over at patreon.com slash saltcatsoap. That's me and my partner, M. Lapis Da Silva, who was recently on an episode of Canceled Too Soon talking about cooking with Paris. Uh, we make designer soaps, and there's still plenty of time if you want to sign up and get your glow-in-the-dark werewolf and potentially also ghost soaps, depending on what tier you join at, uh, if you join in if you're a U.S. customer before October 1st. So that's mm-hmm. patreon.com slash saltcatsoap, all one word. Uh, we're also on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And, uh, yeah, thanks for writing, everybody. Sincerely yours, Bibs and Winnie.